Mr. Peter Cass, how are you today, sir? Well, it's a beautiful morning, Frank, and so I'm feeling it pretty is. good. Good, good. I just did a great interview uh, with a uh, lady that um, uh, started a uh, new uh, business model for herself, which is uh, co-living, which is really something that is very prominent, uh, more so in Europe and in you know uh, large urban cities like um, like New York City and so on and so forth. And it seems to now really be picking up its pace uh, here in uh, Toronto and in, in Ontario. And um, so co-living, basically what she had was um, she's taking uh, what was a, a licensed rooming house, turned it around, uh, and then uh, kind of made it not like a boutique hotel, but kind of like a boutique hotel, um, fully furnished, beautifully furnished, uh, internet service, uh, you know, work uh, workspaces so that they can work uh, from uh, wherever it is, they either in the room or in a common area. Um, and, and she's getting a thousand to 2000 bucks a month for a room. Um, and I thought, wow, you know, this is a brilliant, uh, model. So this, this kind of really, uh, it goes down to the rooming houses. And I know that you've got some experience with regards to that, especially out in the Hamilton area. Um, but what's your, what's any feedback on, on co-living or rooming house, student rentals, those types of things? Well, what what I see, and and this is just a general comment, is that whether it's Airbnb or conversion of office space into residential space, um, things like that, conversion of a building to a condo, it's always about taking the raw material and refining it in some way to to generate a lift in value, or which is always based upon an increase in income or resale value. But these, again, if people are doing that, there's a learning curve. So what happens is you put together a team, usually somebody who knows a lot about bylaws, maybe a former bylaw officer, you get a good construction guy, um, and you you get your lawyer involved, of course, to figure out how you're going to do it. Um, But the field is always ready. It's always ready to do something new because... Obviously, what happens is as real estate gets more and more expensive, you've got to find ways to, to make it affordable. That's what timeshare was years ago. Like that's an example of a of an innovation that worked for a while, and people probably don't like it too much anymore. But timeshares had their day. Fractional ownership has its day. I think that's still going on. It's coming now, back now. You can read in the Globe and Mail about. Friends, like four or five friends pulling their money to buy a house because there's no other way to have one. Yeah. Yeah. Fractional ownership. I mean, I, I just, there's a new company that's just uh, fractional ownership. And I'm thinking, well, I mean, it's great when the market's crazy and it's good and it continues to boom. But uh, if it turns around, um, that fractional ownership is going to be a problem. But anyway, the co-living, I really think is uh, very much because, uh, they, so a term they use now, uh, Peter, is called house hacking. So, Basically, you know, rather than buy a home and live in it, how can you uh, add additional income? And so that's whether you're going to put an in-law apartment in it or if you're going to have a few extra rooms that you rent out. Or in this case, this was a 14-bedroom licensed rooming house uh, that she was able to take over and uh, kind of um, clear out the existing 
you know, tenants that, uh, you know, maybe not, you know, not the most desirable situation and then really turn the whole thing around and uh, really make it quite an income producing property. So, I mean, it's just phenomenal what's going on right now. And, um, you know, if, uh, you know, if somebody really wants to really be, um, take the initiative, there's always a way to make money, isn't there? Um, yes. Creativity is based upon positivity. Uh, and, and then all you have to do is blend those two with some money and being able to spend the time. A lot of people think you can do this in your spare time. You can't. Um, y- you have to designate schedule time for it. I have one client, I remember, he had a little business. Every Wednesday, he left it to the staff to manage. And every Wednesday afternoon, he went out and looked in real estate and he taught himself how to do everything in real estate. And this gentleman, whose main language was not English, has accumulated over $20 million in property um, doing that one property at a time. Very, very uh, persistent. I know one property he looked at, um, it took him almost three years to acquire it because the seller was elderly and the daughter was managing it. They didn't want to sell it. Um, I've seen you put together deals too, where uh, people um, took their time, like you had to spend a year to get it closed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, patience is a virtue, right? And uh, and so if you have a plan and if you have uh, you know an idea and a concept and you're ready to develop something, you know, a business model that works, uh, then you anyone can succeed if they're willing to roll up their sleeves and work hard. Well, um, I just want to thank you again uh, for uh, joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Frank, I wish you the same and more. Thank you, buddy. Welcome, everybody. Roll up your sleeves, grab your pens and papers, and get ready to take notes. My name is Frank Taylor, and this is Let's Be Frank. Well, everybody, I hope that uh, uh, you are going to enjoy this next interview. Uh, Elisa Darcy. Uh, She is a remarkable businesswoman, uh, and she has um, started a successful co-living uh, investment uh, business, which I think that many uh, should be looking at seriously as a way to ultimately house hack, um, but also a fantastic um, uh, business model. And uh, over and above that, um, she has been uh, had an opportunity and was featured in uh, a book and has her uh, Mimos uh, co-living uh, business in Toronto. Jared, what did you think? I think we have a really good interview here, Frank. Um, you know, Lisa is an incredible woman. She's she managed to bring altruism to real estate. She's got a fantastic business model that brings character and humanity first, and manages to weave that into the real estate investment philosophy. But more than that, she's also a self-made woman. I mean, she comes from humble beginnings. Essentially, lived in a farm town in British Columbia, and she managed to build herself up during of all times in in history during COVID. And she managed to build uh, an incredible co-living space, co-living real estate portfolio business. And yeah. I think 
I think viewers can get a lot from this. There's so much to unpack here, and I think everyone's going to get an absolute metric ton from all that she has to say. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Elisa Darcy. We are live. So, welcome. And uh, look at us. Uh, so, we're going to have full disclosure. We have a little bit of Dylan's gin that we're going mm-hmm. to start the evening on. So, I'm, I'm curious to know, are you a, neat, a, a night person or a day person? As in drinker? No, not drinking. <laughs> 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 it's dark that's a good, that's actually that's a, that's a good question actually um but uh, do you like are you an early person you like to start your day early or or later are you better at night or in the morning actually that's a really good question because i like i like it all i want to have it all mm. so to have it all i actually love naps yeah it's true that's isn't it that's what i like to yeah. do power naps are incredible they're just that Exactly. Um, I remember actually, uh, so we need to actually maybe introduce you to the (laughs) audience. Uh, It's great that we start off talking about our uh, alcohol uh, choices. (laughs) Dylan's, we're going to enjoy it. So um, first of all, welcome. And uh, I just want to say that this is going to be a great opportunity um, because you are going to be able to introduce many people to a completely different uh, real estate investment asset. And business prototype. And I think, although this is, um, uh, we're talking about co-living, um, mm-hmm. rental uh, properties right now. And specifically, uh, co-living was always uh, intertwined or perhaps um, referred to as rooming houses, which is not even anywhere close to this type of business model. Um, but I'd like you to take a moment, uh, introduce yourself so that everybody knows uh, who you are. And then what I like to do with my show is I really like to actually talk about, um, you know, the beginning of who, what made you who you are today, because mm. it's, it's such a big factor, right? And, um, and I, I'm sure that a lot of people can uh, relate to our different experiences that we have in life, regardless of where we come from in the end. Um, so tell us about who you are and welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Um, during the pandemic, you know, I had to do a lot of, a lot of soul searching actually about what I wanted and, you know, lots of people were kind of going crazy actually, yeah. right? Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, yeah, crazy, crazy times. Yeah, but yeah, my name is Elisa and I am originally from Vancouver, born in Hong Kong and grew up in British Columbia and uh, let's see, 2015. When my daughter graduated grade 12 and I became an empty nester, I decided to move to Toronto. So I've been here ever since and I'm loving it. Well, welcome to Toronto. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the big smoke, as they say. Um, But uh, I want to go back. I want to go way back in time uh, to your childhood and a bit of your upbringing, because Mm. I think, you know, obviously that's influenced who you are today in so many ways. Um, But let's go back to you were born in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents from from Hong Kong or from uh, mainland China? From Hong Kong. Oh, so they were born in, in Hong Kong. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, set the table for us. Let's hear the story. Yeah. So uh, my parents came to Canada, just like many, many immigrants, mm-hmm. you know, wanting a better life for their children and uh, left everything behind and, and uh, landed in Vancouver. 
My dad was a social worker, so he got a job in Penticton, in the Okanagan, and that's where I grew up. Beautiful. And we had um, uh, my my little brother came along, and my little sister came along, and I have an older brother also. So it's been a wonderful experience, you know, being uh, children of immigrants,、um, and way way back when there was still a lot of discrimination and lots of hardships, as there still are. Yeah. But、uh, that has always set the tone for myself and the family because my parents were always very entrepreneurial, you know, whether it be、uh, owning investment homes or、um, uh, flipping real estate or even、uh, selling things at the flea market. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, so were they flipping back then? So tell me about that because you know flipping is something that. Um, you know,、uh, really kind of evolved. I think more so、uh, in the latter part of the '80s and into the '90s because you could make good money. You could buy a property; it went up quickly. But to buy properties back in so what era are we referring to? So this is a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. way back when. <laughs> way back when. Way back、exactly. when. So '70s. <laughs> sure, we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was one property that they bought. It was、um, quarter acre. Okay.、Um, in the Okanagan, and I remember standing on that piece of land overlooking the Okanagan Lake, and it was beautiful property. There wasn't anything on it except maybe for some apple trees or something.、Mm. And I remember my parents walking around saying, "Okay, this is where the living room is going to be.、Wow. This is where your bedroom is going to be."、Wow. Yeah, it was just amazing. I thought, "Wow, like we can actually dream that big!" Like it didn't even occur to me, even though we had a beautiful house already, right?、Um, so, so I'm going to stop you there because、um, many have never, some、uh, have never had the pleasure to go to the Okanagan Valley or Penticton. And so it is.、Uh, for anyone that's from Ontario, would relate to it. It's more like the Niagara Lake, Niagara on the Lake area, right?、Uh, like the Fruit Belt, isn't it?、Mm-hmm. So I remember being there, and truly one of the most beautiful areas.、Um, and you've got Okanagan Lake, and then you're, you've got mountains that are surrounding you. So I'm just going to set the visual for those who yes, are listening, for、sure. because for those who haven't been. They have to go, right? It's absolutely one of the nicest drives I had. First time I ever went,、uh, flew into Calgary, which was, a, you know, for those who live in Calgary,、uh, it's nice, but it's flat. It's,、mm. it's flatter than I even could have imagined. Because you think when you're going out west, Rockies, but but off in the distance you see the Rocky Mountains. But Calgary's flat, and it's a newer city, and and so、uh, we got to drive into the Rockies and went to Banff. And then took our travels through the Rockies, but then drove down through to Vancouver. It was for Expo. Want to date somebody? Expo '88.、Uh, and、um, but the Okanagan was absolutely one of my favorite places to actually spend time.、Uh, so so you come from a, you got to grow up in a beautiful area. But was Okanagan was Penticton a big city, a small city? It's a very small city. I mean, it's so it was so safe. It was a wonderful place to grow up. Um, we never even locked our doors. Don't tell our neighbors that. No, I did never I, locked our doors. Never locked my doors through even、yeah. up until like recently. <laughs>、uh, but yeah, so that's、uh, a lovely. How small? Like how big or how small? Like how- oh, I think we. I mean, I think I would be pushing it if I said there was a hundred thousand people. Really? Was that small at that time? Yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's completely boomed because of 
um, they've overturned the orchards and made them into vineyards. Okay, yes. Yes. So, you know, a lot of money has been pumped into that area and it's all, you know, vineyards after vineyards. So, so we're in a small town, really, uh, by any standard. It's not rural, but it's small, uh, 100,000 people. And so your parents were really entrepreneurs than if they started purchasing in a, in a rural community, uh, obviously. So, so your father was a social worker, so he worked for... The city of Penticton. Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah. And your mom? My mom was a homemaker. A homemaker. Yeah, okay. So she taught herself English, French, and Spanish. Really? And she was a sewer and a crocheter, knitter, everything. She learned how to bake and cook. And whereas before she moved to Canada, she had never changed a diaper. Isn't that fascinating? Um, and I have, I can, you know, there's so many things about your life um, because you've you've been featured in a book, uh, which uh, I only wish. I could be featured in a book. So, and the book is um, from ordinary to extraordinary. But we'll we'll get back to that. But um, my mother too was, um, you know, she she became an artist. She got her pilot's license. She got certified for you know racing yachts and you know always out and about. So your mom sounds oh you know very similar. And my mother made all our clothes. Like yeah, our, mine too. Our Halloween costumes were handmade, right? Uh, so a, a lot of similarities there. Um, and so you have an older brother, an older brother, and then you're the second oldest, mm-hmm. and then two siblings, two mm-hmm. brothers, you said. Oh, a brother and a sister. A brother and a sister. Okay. And uh, so w- w- when you were growing up as a child with your parents buying real estate and then renting properties, and, and you, were, I guess, were towing along with that. Mm-hmm. Um uh, you know, was there, did you know that there was a keen interest already in that part? Like, were you like, was there a part of you that kind of like intrigued you as a younger child with regards to the real estate that your parents were doing or it hadn't impacted you at that point? It, I, I mean, I was very little, so I wouldn't say that it um, intrigued me, but what it looked like was that it looked like it was easy. Mm. It wasn't something that was scary. Right. It was something that was easy. It was something that you just do. Like, you know, you go out and buy a pair of shoes. Right. So you go out and you buy a, a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you yeah. go buy some acreage, you go buy a house. Wow. And you rent it out, you know? Yeah. So your parents built. And so did they did they buy, build, live in, and then sell, and then buy again and build again? Actually, was that- that's what I wanted to say is that that uh, acreage that they bought, the quarter acre, they ended up not building on it. They just flipped it. Really? Yeah. So I thought, oh, you can do that. It never occurred to me that you could just flip it, you know. And I thought in that moment of flipping uh, that our dreams would be dissolved. Right. right? Okay. You know, where right. is my right. new bedroom? Where is my new living room? <laughs> right. Right. Oh, looking over the lake. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, it was okay, though, because when we got to, um, when we moved to Vancouver, we got a new another a new house, and so that's where we um, where we ended up for many many years. And then uh, the real estate holdings continued after that too. So, how long did you live in Penticton for? Uh, until I was grade seven. Grade seven. Yeah, and then uh, so I started high school in uh, or middle school, I guess it would be called in uh, in Vancouver. And that was and when I read the um, chapter about you in the book. That was a transition for you too, mm. wasn't it? Very much so. It was like culture shock again. Culture shock, not again, but my only culture shock. Um, Because it was culture shock, of course, living in Penticton. 
uh, being one of two Chinese families living in Penticton. Only two? Yeah. Okay. All right. And our family didn't uh, own the restaurant, the Chinese restaurant. Okay. The other family did? <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so in uh, when we moved to Vancouver, then all of a sudden, there were so many Chinese people. Yeah. I thought, oh my God, like there's so many Chinese people. And all of a sudden, our family, I, wasn't unique. Okay. All right. Right? So you actually had a unique identity, got settled in, because you knew nothing. You were basically, your childhood was in Penticton, right? Yeah. Right? And you grew up with your friends through all of that time. So, you know, um, your uh, your ethnic background really didn't matter because everybody was the same. I mean, kids don't see color, right? They don't see color. They don't see differences. They are always accepting. Um, but so there was a it, a unique difference and change when you went to Vancouver. And, and so, so was it because that you weren't accepted or how did that, how did that play out? Uh, well, because I didn't uh, speak the language, didn't speak Cantonese okay. fluently. And of course there were so many people from Hong Kong living in Vancouver at that time who spoke Cantonese. Um, I couldn't answer them back in Cantonese. I could understand what they're saying because I can understand conversational Cantonese, but I couldn't answer them back fluently. It's kind of like, you know, your high school friend. Sure. You kind of struggle with it. Right. Right? Yeah. So there's two languages in China, Cantonese and Mandarin, mm -hmm. right? So is Mandarin... Uh, or uh, mainland Chinese. It is. It's yes. mainland Chinese. Yes. Cantonese is Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Okay. Exactly. So, um, so interesting. And so through high school, so during this time frame, now your parents start purchasing real estate in Vancouver proper? Mm-hmm. In, yeah. in actual uh, Vancouver in, proper? Uh, Port Moody, because we lived in Coquitlam. Okay. Yeah, so that's just outside. And uh, so they purchased um, uh, a small house close to our high school. And uh, I remember, you know, my older brother and my dad having to go over there and in the middle of the night because something wasn't flushing or flooding or something, I don't know, whatever, things right. were happening. Yeah. So I can see that, yeah, it's a bit of work. A little bit of work and yeah you have to deal with tenants um but it wasn't difficult it wasn't that difficult well, they weren't complaining so it wasn't as if uh your parents seemed like doers right so mm. they kind of dug down rolled up their sleeves yeah. and and so you don't have any memory of it being uh, a negative impact against the family it was always something that was a positive and it was part of the business that you guys were building as a family together, right? Is that kind well, of... Well, I wouldn't say it was a business. I would say it was more of a um, side hustle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was just an investment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But a side hustle that helped um, uh, establish a, a certain lifestyle or was it always for the future for your parents' retirement? And what, what was, was it, did you prosper as a family from their real estate investments, or was it just something that you could see they were building their future uh, mm. for their retirement, so on and so forth? Actually, that's a really good question. I remember uh, when my parents flipped the quarter acre and my mom told me that they had, in the short period of time that they held that property, that they managed to um, increase their equity so these are big words for a little kid, big right? Word, yeah, big words. Yeah. <laughs> In elementary school. Yeah, right. Uh, to increase their equity by $20,000. And back then, that I think that was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. I had no concept. Mm -hmm. But that was a lot of money. Yeah. And so I was always amazed that uh, my family 
with my dad only 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 parent working right. right that they were able to afford the finer things in life right we went on annual vacations and you know we had nice things and ate good food and stuff i mean they they watched their money also because they wanted to invest right. right right yeah for sure but yeah so so was your uh, childhood so your memory is uh, was it like either oh, attending the rentals that you had already accumulated or your parents were always on the look were they always looking for new opportunities yes actually i do remember on the weekends going to open houses we just drop in just yeah. to see you know what it was like what um, what you could get for a certain price range yeah. and how they staged the home in order to make it sell better, you know, uh, getting those free chocolate chip cookies that they're baking <laughs> in the oven. Yes, that's right. That's right. That was one of the old rules of real estate. Get some cookies baking in the oven so it always smelled like it was home, right? Exactly. Uh, subliminal uh, messaging. Make, you know, exactly. Make, and that's true. So that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to go, you know, like a lot of people like to go shopping, right? So we were shopping for real estate. Like it was no big deal for me. It just was just the thing that we did. Isn't that cool? Were your parents uh, involved in like actually going in and doing work like the painting and renovations? Were they hands on that way or did they have people that they utilized for that? Like what's the memory on that? Um, most of it, my dad did work. He learned to be a good handyman, yeah. um, but he did hire people and my dad will help so that he could also learn sure, good. actually. And I remember when we bought our house in Coquitlam, because it was brand new and it was an unfinished basement, um, both my brother's room and my room, uh, we had to build them because it was in the finished, unfinished basement. Right. So I remember helping my dad, you know, saw the two by fours and wallpaper and um, what do you call it when you fill in the drywall? Drywall. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did all that too. Good. Isn't that, that's interesting. So that distinctly left an impression on you, right? And, um, and, and, and so you, you, and so let's talk about you, your first assets. And I think you bought your first real estate very young in your life. And so you were motivated, uh, to start investing in real estate at a very young age. Well, I think part of it is the culture also like for the Chinese people and for immigrants, um, ownership and real estate is something that's quite important. Mm -hmm. And so when my first husband and I got married, the first thing we purchased was a house. And, um, you know, we did okay with that house. When our marriage dissolved, we were able to sell it. And I uh, cashed out my portion and I bought a condo um, close to Vancouver City Hall. So it's prime real estate. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so when I uh, acquired that, Condo was 565 square feet, wow. studio, apartment. And then I acquired a husband <laughs> and then we got pregnant and we had a daughter. Okay. And um, unfortunately, the real estate prices fell at that time. And so we weren't able to sell it for the same and, and get my equity back uh, as much as I wanted to. So we ended up holding out onto that property for eight years years okay so what so what era what era was this was this in the 90s or 2000s this is almost 2000 this Two, is it this, would be in the 2000s so okay. my daughter was born in 97 and and what affected the market uh in the vancouver proper area um that would cause an eight year um either stagnation or stagnation decrease and then starting to increase eight years is a long period of time so what was going on out there that caused that to happen 
Yeah, well, I don't know if it happened here in Ontario as much as it did in Vancouver, but um, I don't know if you recall, but in 1997 was the handover of Hong Kong back to mainland China. And so at that time, that's when a lot of um, people from Asia who owned real estate in Vancouver decided to... um, decided that okay they would in the pre-1997 they would purchase real estate in Vancouver and then as they found that okay things were not so bad in um, Hong Kong they decided to sell or yeah sell um, and uh, leave their real estate holdings and go back take their money back to Hong Kong interesting so the market flattened and actually fell um, a little bit and it did last for a, uh, a few years uh, until pre pre-olympics actually uh, 2010 wow yeah so that, that was quite quite a long time it's interesting it, uh, vancouver has always fascinated me bc um, but primarily vancouver because its strength and its longevity um, has always been uh, correlated with the chinese investments primarily chinese investments not just but Primarily, um, and so I always, through uh, my lifetime, always looked at uh, the Vancouver market as being one that uh, I never really was aware. Obviously, being from Ontario, of a stagnation or even a decline. Um, you know, you're insulated to what's going on in in the area that you're in. In this case, was Ontario, um, but um, to to realize that a market could be affected so adversely just from the citizens, the population the immigration and then so there was fear that there'd be problems so people were buying and then when they realized everything was going to play out okay then they actually took their money back out um but then obviously it turned around again and i think that really uh from that point forward vancouver has been a very strong market just not completely but primarily from a lot of investment that comes from uh, chinese immigration to that Mm -hmm. to that area for asia yes Yeah. Yeah. yeah And it's not just in China or Hong Kong. It's also um, India, Pakistan. You know, there's a lot of people coming from South Asia also. Um, And uh, they do have a certain lifestyle where they like to own big properties and, you know, have their families live in it all together. And so the larger properties and the more expensive properties tend to to go quickly so so it, and it's important and i'm sure that anyone listening obviously from that area would know about the immigration so it's not just the chinese immigration it's indian uh immigration and it's it's all of uh south asia that uh we're coming in and going to um vancouver interesting um because i mean it's uh, it's funny the diversity i think that in toronto i don't know where the bigger population is what area has a larger chinese population uh is it is it vancouver or, t- or toronto um actually in terms of numbers the numbers i believe are almost equal are they okay yeah um uh, they're almost equal so um, but the population, of course, is more concentrated here mm-hmm. in Toronto. Like there's more pockets yeah. of Chinese people, you know, living specifically in, say, Markham. Uh, whereas in Vancouver, we've got, say, Richmond. But there's also, you know, Chinese people are spread out all over the yeah, place. You right, know, right. even West Vancouver, which is very uh, ritzy area. Okay. You know, once upon a time, a very ritzy area. 
that was reserved for I don't know, like the British, uh, you know, British properties and yes, stuff. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Interesting. Fascinating. Uh, did you have any interest or did you know of anybody that also invested from, say, the Vancouver proper in Vancouver Island or Victoria? Oh, my goodness. Actually, um, there's, um, if you've ever taken BC ferries to oh, Victoria. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. Um, you can also take the BC ferries to Nanaimo. And that whole area has been bought up by Asian money. Yeah, it's just building like crazy. Isn't that interesting? I mean, I remember going to uh, Victoria and you could see the uh, distinct impression of the British uh, uh, immigration originally. I mean, it was very British. Um, the, Still is. Is it? Yeah. Is it really? Very much so. Um, and, uh, you know, I always, you know, Vancouver Island blew me away because it was the first time in my life that I actually, when you drive through Vancouver Island, which is absolutely massive, I actually saw palm trees that <laughs> full size palm trees and I couldn't believe it. And I thought that's impossible. Like I've got to be seen, but they, because of the, uh, well, it's a rainforest, right? And so uh, palm trees were able to obviously sustain. Uh, yeah, we have them in Vancouver too. Palm trees. Yes. Right on English Bay. Wow, <laughs> that just uh, blows me away. That uh, That's incredible. So you transitioned. Um, so I do want to talk about the fact that your background, um, your your background is in advertising and marketing and, and all of that. So, because um, it's important, I think, to talk about that quickly because it's uh, obviously what brought you to Toronto, but with that knowledge and background, you've been able to transfer that into your new uh, business model that you have for real estate. Really, it, it goes hand in hand. It, it does. I mean, definitely in marketing, uh, which is my chosen profession. <clears throat> in marketing, it's all about you know understanding demographics and what makes people tick, um, where, what makes people buy, right? What mo- what motivations exist. And, um, uh, you know, even for me, when I came to Toronto, um, I knew that I was motivated to meet people, right? To expand my network, uh, both uh, professionally as well as socially. And so I actually chose a co-living situation so that I can have that as quickly as possible. Right. Good for you. I mean, that's forward thinking, isn't it? I mean, really. Um, And was there a lot of selection of co-living opportunities when you came to Toronto uh, originally? Like, meaning that I guess it's been five years, you said, right? Mm -hmm. There's actually more here in Toronto, I believe, than there were in Vancouver. Like I had never heard about it Mm -hmm. before in Vancouver, other than say student housing or these rooming houses in yeah. downtown East Side, yeah. you know, yeah. but the place that I ended up in North York um, by Young and Shepherd, it was nothing like that. You know, it was a decent home. It was uh, well cared for. Uh, the uh, the manager even built us a sun deck in the backyard. Cool. Brought us a barbecue, like things we didn't even ask for. Wow. So it was just a lovely experience. And I realized that, you know, um, in order to um, have a good life, life, lifestyle, it's important to also have a social network. And so we were able to create that. It it hadn't existed before I moved in. You know, people were just living in their little rooms and coming and using the kitchen and scurrying back into their bedrooms. 
But, um, you know, I thought there was a wonderful opportunity here. Let's get to know each other. Yeah. So I started to organize potlucks and, hey, you guys, do you know what a potluck is? You know, (laughs) and, you know, let's do a barbecue. I'll show you what Chinese New Year is and stuff like that. How cool is that? And that was where you were living before when you first came to Toronto. Yes. Right. So you actually took the initiative as a resident uh, to start doing functions and, yeah. and and so on and so forth. And so um, obviously that experience then planted the seed uh, for you to then start looking at a business model for real estate investing uh, with co-living, which, you know, it's funny. It's um, in the whole, whole co-living uh, experience. Um, it, I think it's been a transitional because in real estate, in my experience and uh, through my career, uh, any kind of co-living habitats were just like you said, student rentals uh, or rooming houses. And so rooming houses uh, tended to be, I sold many a rooming houses, let me tell you. Um, but, um, you know, you, you know uh, that they can be very rough and or are, are you know, uh, were purpose for individuals that were on very fixed incomes, right? So disabilities and different types of issues like that. So they could be very, very tough. Um, but I sold a lot of rooming houses. Um, they were buggers to try and get financing for just because of the fact that they are transient, uh, can be a transient income uh, to a bank because it's not, they're not, you, even though you could have a rental agreement that the strength of that rental agreement isn't necessarily that strong. So they were always difficult, um, but huge money makers. Uh, And then I did a lot because I was out in the uh, Hamilton area when I uh, first started in the real estate industry and specifically investment student rentals were a big part of the investment game because of McMaster University, Mohawk College. So I got involved uh, in selling a lot of student rental properties and (laughs) the student rental properties were ones in which, um, you know, they basically almost had to be redone uh, to a certain extent every Sem- not every semester, but every school year, right? You had to build that into your your um, uh, to your projections, right? You knew you had to completely repaint, refresh, and clean up, and and uh, and redo. So um, I had a lot of clients that invested in student rentals, um, but I found it to be uh, that's a tough. That is a tough. If you're in the rooming house business, or if you're in student rental, that's a tough gig, and I think it has. Um, well, obviously the rooming house is a totally different gig, um, uh, student rentals. I tried to keep my clients away from that. Just, I knew what was involved, right? I knew that, you know, you, you've got, you're subject to big parties or events that could occur that can totally get out of hand. And then the place gets trashed, right? And then insurance companies used to cover clients for damage like that, but then they began obviously smartening up and excluded these types of damages. And, and you know, I had a client once that had a, a property trashed and it was like $80,000 in damage, which, you know, today would be equivalent of a few hundred thousand dollars in damage, right? So, um, but there were clients who uh, made a ton of money on that model. But co-living is totally different. Um, you know, we're recording right now in a beautiful, magnificent heritage style property. We're downtown Toronto, right by UFT. We're right in the heart of the city, right? 
uh, and uh, and the, and the building that you're in is 14 rooms. 14 rooms, yes. Yeah. And you've done a beautiful job uh, uh, inside. Thank you. Uh, you have. You really have. You've made it feel like a home. Uh, from uh, everything I've seen and through all the different rooms and I've kind of wandered uh, <laughs> through the building to kind of get an idea and you've set out like a lounge area outside you actually covered an area so that if it's raining um, it's kind of set up like a bar really it's kind of cool and sidewalk then, cafe it's what sidewalk cafe it is it's like a sidewalk cafe and uh, and then in the back you've got lounge chairs and you know for the summer and um, it's very, very well thought out. And then you've got, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've thought about security, obviously. And, uh, and to some extent, you've got some uh, smart home technologies built in because a lot of the doors are on, uh, on the locks that are digital. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so you've developed, I'd like you to talk about uh, the co-living experience and what you've done and um, perhaps what you've improved upon from what you experienced before. Um, let's just run through the process. So you you landed, you saw an example of co-living, and then you started your own business in that. Yeah, so I actually, um, after I moved from that location in North York, I actually tried out um, this co-living model that I had envisioned, right, which was similar to what I, I had created in that house. Um, but I wanted to try it in my own house. So I had a house, um, a townhouse, um, close to um, uh, King and River okay. uh, by the Distillery District, yeah. and we had five rooms that we rented out, and we were able to, you know, have gatherings. We were able to get the people to um, be part of the community and contribute to the community and things like that, and it was a lovely experience. So uh, when the pandemic hit, I realized that. You know what, I was very fortunate to be able to live in this very supportive, warm, friendly environment, but a lot of people were not. You know, a lot of people were isolated. They felt lonely. They didn't have the support system um, in place to even go get groceries or anything like that. So I kind of felt um, a desperation, if you will. You know, there was a lot of people who became homeless because they couldn't pay their rent. Yeah, and things was, like that. It was crazy. It, it was, was a crazy uh, time, right? When the pandemic downtown hit. Toronto was, uh, it was a little apocalyptic for a little bit, yes. right? It it was. It, yes. it it was apocalyptic in a in a way. Like all the buildings were getting boarded up. Exactly. Uh, Black Lives Matter kind of that event heard uh, occurred with uh, uh, the killing of that individual in the states, and then we thought, mm -hmm. geez, uh, you know, anarchy could break out, but it. I will say that uh, uh, from living downtown, um, you know, especially when the first lockdown occurred, you know, there was it, the streets were empty and the homeless were still homeless. And many lived off of, or let's say not lived off of, but basically supported their habits by, you know, any charitable donation someone made on the street. So, uh, you know, I've got vivid memories of, of people like yelling and screaming on the street. Like you'd go out for a walk, you'd be almost the only one out there, but you'd hear things going on and, and uh, you know, storefronts were getting smashed mm -hmm. out. And there was, it was, it was a little crazy. There was a time, uh, you know, for a moment there, I've got a lot of uh, pictures and videos I took during that time frame because it was, um, 
It certainly was. Uh, it was something I'll never forget. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's for sure. And um, I actually got involved immediately with uh, with a um, uh, a homeless uh, organization that was um, providing food uh, through donation uh, to uh, homeless people uh, called uh, Food for Now. It was just a one man operation, um, but uh, I wanted to try and help and support him and. And then uh, organized some, well, not advertising, but just some news coverage. So City TV and um, Toronto Now magazine and um, just to try and promote, to try and get more donations to try and help because it was dire. Uh, it, it really was uh, quite dire. So, so you took the initiative during these crazy times uh, to see that there was a need to almost outreach to even the individuals within within your business model to try and get them socializing and, uh, you know, um, some, so share that because you've really set a model, a model that I think is um, one to be, uh, you know, recognized and uh, uh, honored because I think you've really done something here. And uh, so share what you did. Mm. Well, just before the pandemic hit, I think it was in February, um, my friend Liza Rogers, who is the founder of the Women's Real Estate Network, um, uh, came from Vancouver to come and visit me. And I had met her like eons ago before I started my own ad agency in Vancouver. Um, and uh, she was doing this women's real estate network thing, right? And so I was telling her, you know, this is the co-living, you know, I really like this model and, um, you know, I'm exploring this uh, as kind of my passion project and uh, it would be good for society and, you know, Toronto and Vancouver and anywhere actually in the world uh, could really use um, um, a residence where people would feel, will come together, random people would come together yeah. and live together, feel safe, feel supported, right? Uh, Judgment-free, yeah. uh, be able to have conversations and yet have the privacy of their own room. So um, Liza was a huge um, supporter because she had, lived in cruise ships, you know, probably the biggest co-living space, right? Right. And, but floating. And so she was totally on board and she was a big supporter. So when the pandemic hit and all this was coming down, I thought, oh my God, like people really need to support each other now. Yeah. And people don't have places to, to live. People were getting evicted. You know, this is before they stopped the evictions, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And um, so that's when I... Uh, I kind of felt desperate that, oh my God, like it's up to me. I need to go and go find a place, right? And uh, so I kind of walked the streets. I literally walked the streets in our neighborhood uh, around Cabbage Town, around um, Regent Park, yeah. uh, Leslieville, you know, that area, um, just to see if there's some big, rotty old house that I can. Uh, take over and fix up a bit and, you know, that people could feel comfortable uh, even for a short period of time and get them off the street and feel welcomed and um, and homey. Right. And so I happened to be visiting a friend who lives in the annex and I uh, um, happened to be walking around this neighborhood and that's how I stumbled upon this house at Spadina and Bloor. Wow. Yeah, this, this is a heritage house 
like you said, that was built in 1873. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I have an, I have uh, an affection for older uh, homes. So I've done a lot of restoration on heritage properties of various sizes, but, um, you know, some projects, 36 unit apartment buildings, but beautiful old uh, properties. And so um, when you talk about neighborhoods like Cabbage Town, absolutely gorgeous, right? That was a neighborhood that was really um, one of the worst areas in Toronto to be in. And now look at it today. It's absolutely, absolutely stunning. And then even Regent Park, you know, people hear about Regent Park and you know, it's funny, I go, I'll have my kids come down and we'll visit and we'll go for walks. And, you know, I'll basically say, well, so now we're going from Cabbage Town and now we're in the hood. Uh, but you don't get a sense, really. Um, I mean, you know, you're obviously walking, you transition into some of the housing projects. But those buildings are actually, I mean, they're w much older, but they're well capped, actually. Uh, and then there's that whole area that's now been completely redeveloped right which was Regent Park, which was all low, um, the, the whole social housing projects that they started tearing down, relocating, but not relocating the people. The builders had to then accept ratios of people that were on fixed incomes or disabilities. And, and so um, that initiative really happened uh, when they started um, the Esplanade. And um, they started realizing that when you start taking neighborhoods and if you put a social demographic um, certain income levels so people that are on fixed incomes or lower incomes and you put them all into one area you're making a situation that could become catastrophic and so regent park was an example jane and finch was an area that was another example um, there's some areas i'm not so familiar with but in in scarborough that i know are the same way and so what they've started realizing uh, logically now is that, uh, you know, when you take, you, you, you mix everybody from every living of every social economic uh, level and bring them together, it produces obviously a healthy environment, right? Um, but I actually like Regent Park, um, uh, but I do, you know, I sometimes pass by a corner and the next day, I, you know, I read in the paper that something Mm. Some crazy shit just went down. And it's like, <laughs> what? I was just there at that corner. Um, but uh, I love it. I, I love Toronto. I love the neighborhoods. Um, even where you're located, uh, right here at uh, Spadina and Bloor, um, you just walk into the neighborhoods here, which is the annex. My God, the homes are absolutely stunning, right? Um, and I think an interesting, uh, interesting scenario that, you know, people need to focus on is that, you know, they automatically assume that Toronto is just too expensive, that it's impossible to uh, develop a business model in Toronto, but you have, and you started right in the midst of COVID. So, but in your model, uh, you're renting the properties out. And um, so let's talk about how you came upon this uh, magnificent, beautiful <laughs> old building and how you tra transitioned it. For sure. Yeah, I actually, um, because the we're, we're in a duplex. And so in this half of the building that we're currently in, it was already running as a rooming house. And I can see through the windows as I was peering through the front door that there were some shoes and stuff. So I could see that people were living here. But so I, I just want to just want to stop. It's a semi is, is yeah. actually in, referred to maybe as a duplex out in Vancouver. But <laughs> okay. here here it's re it's a semi. Semi. So okay. it's two beautiful, uh, magnificent old heritage buildings of 
of really humongous size. This is a huge building. Uh, and then so you would peeky through the door, right? And yeah, and so then, um, but the sign on the other side of the semi um, said something guest house and there was a phone number. So um, I, I called the number, but it wasn't operating. So I Googled, of course, Mr. Google um, uh, told me, okay, th this is uh, the number for this half. And so I uh, gave the guy a call and it was the owner of this half um, that we're presently in. And at that time, um, you know, I had no idea. I, in fact, I wanted to buy it. I wanted to purchase uh, the home, uh, whichever half I could get. Um, and uh, he said that he wasn't in a position to chat with me right now for whatever reason and to call back in May. So this was March. And so the call back in May. So, you know, during that time, we were looking, um, myself plus a couple of other friends who became my business partners, um, came by and said, uh, you know, let's keep looking at other houses. And we saw some beautiful homes that we could have converted also. Um, but the guy got back to me. His name is Alex. And he, I told him about this vision I had for co-living house and converting his rooming house into... A more um, gen. Sure. Thank you. Uh, to into a co-living house and he was on board he was very supportive and um, yeah and so you know I told him so let's backtrack on that I just want to stop you because yeah. it's interesting it's a great story so so Alex was running it as a rooming house the way we would think of a rooming house which was um, more of a transient type of tenant profile yeah I think he had a lot of students okay we're right beside U of T okay um, he had I don't know, I think like transients, because he did tell us tales of him having to come in the middle of the night and kicking people out. Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and calling the cops yeah. or whatever. So yeah, it was like a, we have a rooming house license. So it's a rooming house, it's uh, licensed for 14 rooms, mm -hmm. right? Which I think is an important um, uh, point to make in, in this um, uh, podcast, because uh, you, you know, you've gone after something, you're not trying to take something that's a single family, or even in this case, a, a duplex or a triplex. That's why I just wanted to correct you on the duplex side because it's actually a, a legal 14 licensed mm -hmm. by the city of Toronto, a 14 room uh, rooming house. So um, how, how many years had he owned? Does he own? Has I think he, he owned, had owned it for 10 years. 10 years, okay. Yeah. All right, younger guy, older guy? Middle-aged. Middle-aged, yeah. okay, all right. So he had done some upgrading with the washrooms yeah. and a little bit you know, here and there with the flooring and stuff. And he installed, um, you know, the fire. Um, so everything was to code yeah. for a rooming house. So we were really blessed with that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you pitched your idea. And so did you get the house uh, free and clear, uh, free of tenants and started fresh? Or did you inherit uh, in individuals when you started? Well, it was, it was lovely because he worked with us and he gave his existing tenants notice that there's going to it's going to be under new management and if they wanted to stay they would have to renegotiate with the new management um so everyone knew you know uh, that we were coming in that we we're going to be upgrading things and it was a slightly different model than what they were used to and so they had the the, the choice to stay or to leave yeah and did they leave and so everyone left except okay. for one. Oh, okay yes except for one okay yes so we're very lucky to have her. Her okay. name is Sherol, and we're very pleased to um, have her as um, you know not only for continuity because she knows this house 
better than we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but she has a lovely, lovely story to tell. Um, and she's one of the types of people that we want to help. You know, she's a recovering alcoholic. And um, she has uh, been dry for 35 years. Oh, we had cake and celebration. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's a lovely lady, you know, in, in, and we support her as we support everyone else in their healing process and their journey to greatness. Yeah. So interesting because I, I want, um, because I had an opportunity to go through the house and, you know, and I, it's, it's, a wonderfully diverse uh, crowd. So you've got, uh, so I think you have some students from UFT here, right? Uh, you've got professionals that uh, live here, mm-hmm. right? You have a whole variation of, uh, it's a beautiful, it's actually a very unique, mm-hmm. uh, diverse community. I mean, you've got right now, I think you've got, so just where are some of the people we've from? Got right an, an, we've got an actor. An actor. From Regina. And so she's here rehearsing and then she'll be doing her their play um in november and then we have um an architect and then we have a uft student of architect and we have um a lady from china who is studying italian really yes and then we have um somebody who is studying finance um yeah we've got a huge diversity you know uh one thing that I didn't mention yet was that the marketing that I ended up specializing in is in multicultural marketing. Yes, that's important. I think it's important for everyone to know that because that's a very niche and- It's uh, very niche. So, um, you know, supporting um, and celebrating diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And so when I um, created this co-living model, I really, really wanted it to be multi-generational, multicultural, um, you know, judgment-free um, uh, environment where everyone felt safe and um, had the opportunity to, to be themselves. Well, it's it's interesting because, um, you know, uh, from, from looking at how you've got the rooms and you've got uh, community rooms and, and, and it's clear and evident, uh, you've got artists here mm. I mean, that are doing beautiful work and you've got a little yoga area and you've got a entertainment area and you've got musical instruments that people can obviously help themselves to use. So you've got a absolutely stunning, uh, kitchen area that, uh, you know, could facilitate. I mean, it's huge. It's absolutely. We had a chef living here. Yeah. Did you? Yes. And so he used to, uh, cook gourmet meals for us it was just lovely yes well you've got even a resident board like you've got like a like a list of all the different people that are here by name uh like it's really it's beautiful because you've designed it to make it welcoming um and it's and you've done a wonderful job decorating it obviously you've uh utilized um you're not buying everything brand new which is you're recycling right as much as we can you know coming from bc of course you know the Recycle, reuse, and, and reduce is uh, very important to me, especially. But it's really important for us to, um, you know, to be as gentle on the environment as possible. And you know, I'm true. I'm a huge proponent of, uh, you know, the shared economy. So even when we're building the place, you know, we got a membership at the tool library so that we didn't have to buy new tools. We can just uh, use, go to the library and borrow tools. Really. 
Yeah. Tell me about that because I know nothing about that. So welcome to living in Toronto. It's absolutely, <laughs> it's awesome. I got to tell you, I love it. I love living in Toronto now. Um, you know, uh, you know, I've got uh, a very expensive vehicle that I just don't want to drive anymore. And I've literally parked it and literally have taken the insurance off because if I need a vehicle, I use the uh, Camino Auto and there's cars everywhere. And I literally can do it by, by an app. And pick it up. I do the bike sharing. Uh, it's a hundred dollars a year. Yes, I, can use I a do bike. bike share too. That's my main mode of transportation. Right. Uh, and you can get around anywhere. And then so now there's a tool sharing. So tell us about that because I didn't even know about that. Yeah. So let me see. I think we have the most expensive membership so that we can keep a tool for five days. Um, uh, but yeah, you pay. I think it was like I don't know, hundred dollars or something for the year membership. And you can go down and you can rent a tool, power tool, big, small sanders, like whatever, a wrench. I don't know. We've gotten everything. Really? Yeah. So where's that? Uh, that's down on Spadina. There, I think there's two locations, one in Danforth and one Spadina and I don't know, uh, by Dun- Dundas. That's wonderful. <laughs> like, I mean, I really, uh, you know, the... the it's a whole new world we live in. And why would you buy, like I used to, buy tens of thousands of dollars in tools, which I had. Uh, and then, you know, though I was doing a lot of, I, I used to do a lot of restoration, do the work myself and all of that and uh, take on some pretty big projects. But, um, you know, my kids were like, we don't, I'm not going to buy a tool deck because I can share my tools. I'm like, What? And I didn't even realize that that existed, but there's actually, so there's a, there's a building that you go to mm-hmm. and then you remember, and yeah. then you can pick any tool you want and then you sign it out like a book mm-hmm. and then you've got so many days with it. You got to bring it back and cool. That's it. That's it. That is incredible. That's it. And what's it called? The tool library. The tool. Toronto tool library. Toronto tool library. Yeah. So there's a plug for that. Cause that's just. <laughs> Like, that's awesome. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, I got to go down there now and look at it just because I want to know. That's, For sure. That's no, fantastic. I love it. I love Isn't it. that amazing? Uh, and so then, so because you've done a wonderful job, like the house inside is, you know, it to me, it's um, it's kind of like a boutique hotel in a way, right? You've got, because uh, I've seen some of the rooms and the layouts. You've got uh, you've got some rooms that are are kind of like a, a living room with a pull out bed if somebody wants that right, um, but you also then transfer that room when it's not rented into a common space for people to use and have a little exactly l- l- yes l- that's l- our bookable meeting space. So if uh, one of our guests or anybody actually wanted to have their own private um, private party, then we can bring in a dining table. We can you know we've actually had musicians in there. We've had little little birthday parties, you know, during COVID, it was really hard to find uh, indoor space yeah. that people can just gather. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, uh, it's really impressive. And then some of the rooms have their own bathrooms. Mm-hmm. Some of the rooms have a bathroom and a little kitchenette mm. inside them. Right. I mean, it's, it's, well, it's not a kitchenette. It's like a wet bar, like a wet bar. Yeah. Yeah. Like a yeah. little wet bar. I mean, it has a microwave and, exactly. and stuff like that, but it's beautifully done. Um, you've done all of your uh, color coordination, very neutral, which mm-hmm. is something I advocate. Um, 
you know, I always tell my clients uh, to try and stay with uh, white on white on white. And then they look at me sideways and say, why would I do white on white on white? And because to be honest with you, because you immediately know where there's an area that needs to be touched up. It's very quick and it's cost effective. And then if you stay with a certain uh, color code, you can match it at any time. Everything matches, exactly. Exactly, right? It's an art. It's, you know, when you're in the game, you've got to develop a system and staying with white on white on white makes it very easy to touch up and roll out and so on and so forth, right? So you've obviously learned that somewhere. Well, I have lovely, lovely business partners. Um, I have, uh, and I would never invest in real estate on my own ever again. I would always do it in collaboration with people. Um, because, you know, there's, um, not only is the risk lessened, but everyone brings something exciting to the table. Interesting. You know? Interesting. Yeah. So I was always the opposite. I didn't want anybody, uh, involved just because if they didn't have the vision, they didn't see the, what I saw, um, then it would become problematic, uh, quickly. And, and, and I'm a perfectionist, so I am a very detailed guy. I, and so I'm very visual and um, just uh, I, I have a, I, I actually, you know, probably very much like you because it sounds like your mom was creative and you are absolutely creative just from even just how you dress. And she's wearing a beautiful scarf right now and a black sweater. And it's just, uh, you know, you're 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 obviously have a talent um, because even just how you've decorated the house and everything, I guess, is, is repurposed. But it doesn't look like that. It looks well, you know? everything is, is set out to look homey. It does. You know, it does. it's not pristine um, because that's not what a home, a lived home is like, right? We want things that, yeah, I'll go ahead and touch it, yeah. right? Nothing is off limits. And, um, you know, we called it uh, specifically Mimos Co-Living because Mimos is a Spanish word for, it has two meanings, actually. One is mimic. Uh, it's a root word for mimic. And the other meaning is uh, pampering, like mother's love pampering. Cool. So we wanted that kind of feeling that, you know, this is a, uh, this home mimics a family home, right? Although we're all unrelated, yeah. but it is, uh, it mimics a family home and it's full of mother's love. Yeah. Well, you can sense it. Uh, you've got a laundry facility, coin operated, mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, you've got cleaning staff that come in and, and clean the house all the time. So it's spotless, really. Uh, when you think about a, a property that's got 14 rooms, uh, it's spotless to me. It's very much like a, a beautiful, uh, historic um, little hotel kind of flavor. Uh, and so you've done a fantastic job in managing that. And that's a process, right? I mean, that's... Um, you know, I'm sure that you've learned just since you've opened this so much. And, and I know that you want to duplicate this and, and carry this forward. And I know that, you know, you and I have talked uh, privately about, um, uh, you know, do I buy and, and do it and do or do I continue with the renting model? And I, I have found with my clients that have got uh, portfolios of Airbnb, um, Ironically, I had a client of mine that had uh, properties all through Toronto, and I mean in premium locations. So um, every great neighborhood you could think of, uh, she had a property. And I was thinking to myself, 
And I, you know, so we're talking, she hired me, we were talking about the business model and, and how she could improve upon it and so on and so forth. And, but I, I was trying to make the numbers work in my mind before we got to that stage on how could she carry a mortgage on all of these properties in these premium locations. And then I, I, I basically came out and just said, like, I, you got to tell me because it, the only way you could be doing this is by renting these properties. You can't own them. Because the mortgage, when you weigh the mortgage and then you factor in your property taxes and the maintenance and all that's involved, um, I just can't, it, the model doesn't work unless, of course, you can do it where you've invested or you have a group of investors um, where you're mortgage free, right? And then you're able to then capitalize and you're able to offer passive investors a decent return on their investment, right? which then is great because then you've got the natural equity that would grow in the asset. Um, but it really is kind of a fine line. And I have found that the most successful parties in this type of business or through Airbnb on a larger scale have always uh, leased the space, but leased it openly with the landlord and just said, look, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to do an Airbnb and, um, you know, if a landlord's smart, they're going to realize that usually most Airbnbs, Airbnbs are kept in great condition, right? Uh, yeah. Well, the model that we have here, it's, um, I would say, a cross between uh, a boutique hotel, like you mentioned, yeah. uh, a social enterprise, you know, because we do want to be able to have affordable housing be part of that solution okay. um, uh, and have... Uh, rooms that some people can who normally couldn't afford to live in this kind of neighborhood can afford to live in a very supportive, clean, comfortable, uh, homey environment uh, with us. Um, and it's also across uh, between that and a hostel, a hostel that has, you know, lots of activities, you know, you're part of the community, you get to uh, meet people quickly, and there's people coming and going, you know because we offer both month to month as well as short-term rentals. So it's a lovely, lovely mix. You always, you know, instead of going on vacation to meet people, you can actually stay at home and meet people. Yeah, well, you want to expand upon this. And I just want to make it clear so that people, uh, if they're thinking that somehow um, your, your tenant profile is uh, transient in any way, it's not, it's totally not. And then uh, you're taking advantage of maybe uh, different uh, rental uh, forms in order to uh, keep it filled. So you've got your website, your Facebook, but you, you must use Airbnb. Are there other models that you use as well for? Yeah, we were also looking at uh, um, like Facebook Marketplace and Kijiji okay. and that, uh, as well as Airbnb and other platforms. I know the previous, uh, or I know the owner, he was also on booking.com and other platforms. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So, so your, your, your business model is uh, obviously, it, you're not doing this as a charitable organization, no. right? Uh, you're obviously uh, successful. You're making money, right? Uh, doing this. And it's, I know that through our conversations, you want to expand upon this model and template it really again yeah, exactly. uh and, and which is kind of goes with the name right uh <laughs> that you've chosen uh and the definition and you want to expand and uh and what you're doing here is is phenomenal and i think it's the future i really do and so um you know many people are involved in uh let's say an airbnb model and they're getting into say one unit or they're getting into two units or so on and so forth 
And uh, you're doing the ultimate, what they call now is the phrase house hacking, uh, where you're utilizing uh, one asset and then you are really uh, developing the highest and best in income stream uh, that's, uh, that's possible. And I think that this is a model that really utilizes the highest and best use. Mm. Um, because because you because you could you really someone could live in a property like this uh, and in your case you have your own business that you're still operating and uh, you so you could uh, have a, you know a professional career and still be invested in real estate and have in generating income and uh, and and building a business model uh, that you can uh, then uh, expand upon right and so tell me about your, your thoughts and dreams. Um, and I do want to get back to um, uh, the, the REN, uh, the, the Women's mm -hmm. Real Estate Investment no, Network. Women's Real Estate Network. Okay, so it's the... the REN. So it's REN, REN W-R-E-N. W-R-E-N for people who want to look it up um, because uh, your mentor... Mm -hmm. um, also got uh, into doing something for her mother who was looking at possible uh, long-term. Yeah, so uh, Liza's, um, well, one of the motivations for Liza was that her mom is getting older, just like all of our parents yeah. are. Uh, I mean, my mom has passed away now, but, uh, you know, for, especially during COVID, we now realize that putting your parents into a, into a facility, a senior's facility isn't always the best yeah. choice. And so um, whatever we can do to have them age in place is definitely something that uh, is, an, uh, is something that we are looking at. So Liza definitely wanted to create kind of like a BFF mansion, right? Where all of her mom's friends and um, all of the, her friends could all live together in one happy home. You know, um, right now, uh, women are buying uh, real estate faster than men. Yes. They're jumping into home, residential homes uh, faster than men. And it's because a lot of women are not, you know, marrying or they're divorced and or they're single moms and they, they, they still want the stability or they still want to be in, um, you know, keeping some real estate holdings. Yeah. So it's a wonderful opportunity for them to secure, have that security that real estate brings um, and still, you know, be with their friends and they can all age in place and take care of each other, right? That's something similar to what we have created here with Mimos Co-Living that you have people who are very, you know, professional, like you said, like these are not transients no. living here, no. right? No. Um, but you have people who are, who are, professionals or to be professionals yeah, right they're, yeah. they're in school yeah. um, or people who are you know getting their lives in order right they they have perhaps sold all their belongings and yeah. they were going to move to somewhere um, to take a job and then they got stranded in Canada because of COVID and stuff um, that happened to one of our other guests who just managed to fly back to Africa really with his family yeah and so um, you know there's an opportunity for us to um, have um, a renter, if you will, or you know, a tenant, a guest, uh, for us at Mimosco Living, we call them members. Yeah. Um, so to, for us to have members who really are supporters of this, um, this environment, the co-living environment, they really see the merits. 
And they actually are kind of the best tenants there because they take care of the place. They take care of each other yeah. as well as the, the environment. Yeah, you've, uh, you've, you've certainly um, developed a management style uh, and perhaps um, put in infrastructure with your cleaning staff and so on and so forth. Uh, you're right on top of it. Um, it's very impressive. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm, anyone who's interested in this uh, style of investment model, which I think is really the future. And if you want to tap into markets that you think are unaffordable, like Toronto or other, other areas like Hamilton and so on and so forth, there is always a way. Where there's a will, there's a way and you can make it work. And so um, with you know many of my clients or other forums that I belong to that I uh, observe, you know, a lot of people are trying to obviously look for cash flow. And because of the cost of real estate, they're going into, you know, Thunder Bay and areas that are very remote. And and so so then you're basically entrusting your investment to a third party, which can work. In some cases, it can't. Um, you know, I've had clients that have also bought into small rural communities uh, in in parts of, of Ontario. And what we've realized or has become a realization is that because of the cost of rent in cities like Toronto or Hamilton, any part of southern Ontario, people who are on fixed income are going out now because of the cost, they're going way out into these small towns, but it's, uh, it's adversely affecting uh, small town communities because um, some of these individuals, not all, um, uh, you know, have habits that uh, can adversely affect a community in a big way. Um, it's been, it's been fascinating. Real estate is one of those uh, industries I'm passionate about and I love it. And, uh, you know, I never look at it um, uh, as, I don't look at any situation as a negative. It's just a method of being able to overcome and then develop a model that works for the community that you're in, right? And uh, so I, I'm very impressed with this model. And I think I really believe it's, it's really the future uh, in many ways. And I certainly take my uh, hat off to you. And so I definitely, I also want to talk about uh, anyone that's interested, any, uh, um, so any women that would love to get into a uh, forum, uh, they, how could they best reach the, the network that you're involved in? How would they go about doing that? Uh, the Women's Real Estate Network. Yeah, we also have a Facebook page. So it's Ren Club, Ren.club. Okay. Um, uh, actually, that's the website too, Ren.club. So okay. it's W-R-E-N.club. C-L-U-B. Okay, and they can reach mm-hmm. out to you. Exactly. Um, and, you know, it's funny because it's, you know, this interlayers with so many different aspects of my business and uh, today mm-hmm. and my business in previous when I was a realtor, um, many of my uh, clients uh, were female entrepreneurs, had a business or they were executives of a company and so on and so forth. And like you just shared, they had gone through transition, through marriage, and they were like, fuck that. I'm going to, I'm not going to rely on a man. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it. And, um, and, uh, and they kick ass uh, like you are. Um, and so that's, that's wonderful. So they can become part of that group. And that's a wonderful network uh, to have. 
But I also want to advocate that if somebody really does want to invest in an area like Toronto, it's possible, isn't it? It, it, you know, there's a way to make it work if you really are willing to dig in. And, and Absolutely. I mean, in these large uh, urban centers, there will always be the demand for housing, um, always be the demand for affordable housing. Sure. Well, I mean, that's your goal. I mean, you, you've talked to me about uh, having the opportunity of, with this membership of having different locations. So let's just say even Toronto that if somebody wants to go from one location to another, they could uh, if they want to exactly. interchange. And I want to make it clear that these rooms are not, that's uh, not cheap, right? So your room rates can go from like, let's go, what would be your, let's say minimum, I guess it's all seasonal. Yeah, but so the, 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 the smallest room, this is like our Harry Potter room. It's yeah. really cute. Yeah. Um, it's got a single bed, a closet. Um, a lamp and a little little workspace. Um, that one is going for just under one thousand yeah. dollars, um, but it goes up to say eighteen hundred dollars. You know, with the with the uh, queen size bed, your own balcony, and your own washroom with a huge uh, shower. You know, with the glass doors, the whole shebang. Yeah. So a thousand to eighteen hundred, just mm-hmm. so, because many people who are listening want to try and figure out, you know, what what's the the, the financial reward. It can be, uh, if it's well-managed, it can be great financial reward, right? Yeah, I mean, we take care of everything, like you said, right? Uh, We've got the cleaning staff. We, um, you know, coffee and tea is always on. We uh, provide continental breakfast and, yeah, and all the activities are included for the members here. Well, when I've walked around, so even in your laundry area, it's, it's, you know, it's coin-operated. You're making, you're covering your cost on that. That's the key. Right. Laundry is never an income uh, producer, but as long as you can at least cover the costs and or then some. Um, but it's you've got racks of towels. It's it's like a hotel. I mean, I can see that if somebody needed a fresh towel or they need fresh sheets and things like that, you've got it there. Uh, you've got common bathrooms. You've got rooms with bathrooms. Um, but you're talking some pretty good money when you're talking a thousand to eighteen hundred a room. Do the math on that. Uh, that's good, right? I mean, that's uh, that's an excellent model. And you're obviously repurposing uh, items, so you're not buying things new, which I think is absolutely insane now. I mean, I've kind of gone from the other mode. I've gone from, you know, three kids with big house and all of that shit that comes with it, and then you just accumulate crap. And then realize that when you want to downsize, it's worthless, right? And uh, people like us benefit. So thank you so much. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. Fuck. And I got to tell you, uh, yeah. So, and then, you know, obviously, you know, when I started downsizing, you know, to a certain point, you know, my kids would grab whatever they wanted. But, you know, there I had some nice stuff and you, pennies on the dollar is all you could get uh, when you want to try and, and downsize. And I learned it originally, my father uh, passed away um, recently within the last uh, six years ago. And he had a beautiful uh, big two bedroom condo and loaded uh, with uh, furnishings. But um, with the estate, I had to get everything cleared out and soon realized you can't get rid of uh, furniture. Uh, so if you're smart, if you're really going to be in this business uh, or any type of business that you're going to do furnished rental, buy a pickup truck is probably going to be the best investment you have because if you do, 
it will pay dividends by what you can go out and buy through Marketplace and Kijiji. And then when you do have an item that you really want, you can, you, you know, so they're asking X, you can offer whatever with cash in your hand. And they're like, take it, right? And you can get fantastic deals. Um, my son lived in New York City and he had to furnish an apartment and uh, he ended up totally furnishing it with uh, his girlfriend at the time. Did a beautiful job, but got stunning pieces for next to nothing. And what they did was they just rented a U-Haul truck, purchased what they wanted. But I mean, I think they had a couch that was worth thousands of dollars that they got for, you know, I think six, 700 bucks that was brand new because yes. there are some people crazy as it sounds that have a lot of money, they'll buy a, a piece of furniture and then they get it in the house and they're like, nah, it doesn't work. And then they'll get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And so if you're, if you've got the ability to be able to grab items, and I think you've got that within your group, uh, you've got so you've got partners and yes. part of that partnership group. Uh, let's just talk about that quickly. Yeah, so one of my business partners, he's into um, uh, construction mm -hmm. and um, uh, painting and, and, and that. Uh, so the whole operations and uh, side of things. And I have another business partner. Um, she's actually a re restaurateur. So she owns really? restaurants in the UK. Really? Yeah. And so she knows how to make things beautiful with uh, with not a lot of money. And uh, so she's got a good eye for decor. And she works magic in our place. You know, and I truly believe, and we all truly believe that the way the place is set up really sets the tone for your guests. And so it... Um, it's funny because the, the previous place that I had, um, we rented it on Airbnb to this gentleman and he came through and he's a blue collar worker. Mm -hmm. um, nothing wrong with blue collar no, workers yeah, at all. Yeah. Um, but as soon as he walked in, he said, mm, this is no student housing. This is no student housing. Right. You're not. absolutely right. Like yeah. this is, you know, like the quality, the the fluffy, fluffy white towels, the crisp white sheets yeah, it's beautiful. that we have yeah. on the beds, you know, like everything is, is uh, there set up and it's got a certain quality, yeah. right? And a certain, you know, and, and people behave a certain way, yeah. you know? Well, why do you keep, why do you keep, why do you do white sheets and white towels? Because you can bleach them. Because you can bleach them. You can bleach yes. them and you know what's clean and what's not, right? Absolutely. Right? Why do you have the walls white? Because you can touch it up quickly. <laughs> And you know what's what's fucked up and you can you can hit it hard. And, uh, you know, if you know, it's funny when I did my rental, all my rental properties, they were all white on white on white. But it was also uh, because if you went with like dark, you know, my designs were always like beautiful, dark floors with beautiful lighting. If you have beautiful lighting and white walls, then you can make all of a sudden you can make a room look like a museum. If you've got pieces that you want to highlight and so on and so forth but so easy to quickly run through it and touch it up, right? The big cost is originally doing your first paint, get everything done, tr you know, everything trimmed out properly. So you're gonna go with a, a, a beautiful quality semi-gloss on your trims. You're gonna go with an eggshell on your walls and flat, flat on your ceilings. And then from there, you can roll that sucker out in no time if you've got good painters and it's cost effective. Um, and it's all about, uh, you know, just having common sense with long-term business decisions, right? 
and you've got all of your doors set up with uh, electronic uh, key fobs. Yeah. One thing I just want to highlight is that you've obviously you're pro you're providing a high speed internet, and uh, not only do you have obviously the strongest internet that's coming into the building, but you've got um, boosters throughout throughout the house. Right, we've got four floors and a backyard. Right, to account for yeah. yeah. So you've you're providing uh, internet into the yard. So if somebody mm -hmm. wants to work on their laptop or whatever outside and um, they're not gonna have a desktop out there, that's for sure. And then uh, and then, so you're providing high-speed internet, which is key, right? Absolutely, right? everyone's working from home these days. Everybody's right? working from home. Um, well, I gotta say, uh, bravo. And uh, you should be proud of what you've done here. Um, I, I'm, uh, I feel like uh, it's a pleasure to have gotten to know you and, uh, and, and work with you and get to know you and, now that I know more about your background, um, and it's funny, you know, it, it doesn't matter where anyone comes from, uh, there's always commonalities, right? Uh, and uh, so we just, uh, it's, it's um, life is amazing. I, I love it. It's always great. We never know what's around the corner and the opportunities that uh, come before us, but. Uh, okay. Yeah, um, and you know, my story is, um, I share my story in my chapter in the book um, from ordinary to extraordinary you know i hope it does provide some inspiration for people who think that they might not be able to get into real estate or um or some sort of passion project or um to fulfill their dreams you know i'm not doing this necessarily for myself yeah right it's uh, a need that i saw that existed and i just found a way to make it happen and quickly to plug about the book, it's uh, you're in a chapter of the book, but it's a book about. Uh, there's ten women that have been um, that have shared their stories about how they have used uh, real estate in a, as an investment tool. Fantastic! So can they find that on Amazon? On Amazon, or? yes. Oh, really? Look yes. at you! Like, yeah. Right. So we actually went to uh, number one in eleven categories. Wow! When it first launched. Wow! Yeah, Congratulations! Thank That's you. wonderful. Well, you should be proud. Uh, on so many levels Absolutely. and uh, you're certainly setting a standard and uh, um, you know I, I feel like it's an honor to have had this opportunity to interview you, and I truly mean that it's thank you, Frank. truly truly so thank, thank you very you so much. much for your time Th thanks thank for your you. interest too all right thank yeah. you so much appreciate it have a great day thank you you too bye we'll be right back Well, thank you for joining us on this show. Uh, girl power. Go, go, go. Um, I will tell you that, you know, many of my uh, female clients are uh, super women and uh, I love it. So um, uh, Lisa mentioned uh, a real estate uh, forum group uh, for you ladies that would like to uh, join that. Please look into it and uh, always remember, I have no interest in being a social media personality, but I do have interest in helping you succeed in real estate. So pick up the phone and give me a call. Uh, it uh, doesn't hurt to connect and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, also, I want to mention the importance of team building. Um, the podcast will have a list of the different participants that have helped me actually bring 
um, to life, uh, let's be frank. And um, so I would ask that if you need services um, for professional artwork or podcasts or any of that, um, that you dig into it because they're excellent. And I can't emphasize uh, the importance of supporting a team and the need of having a team because I know nothing about all of this. I really lean on experts on anything, really, um, that I'm not keenly aware of and can't uh, speak to. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. Thank you very much uh, for joining us for today's show and look forward to the next one. Whoa, oh.